The problem with the big companies is not that they lack resources. The problem is that they lack agility. And that's exactly where we excel and, and the work we do. Every customer for us is a partner. Every customer for us leaves a, a mark on the product. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. With me today is Yotam Segev, co-founder and CEO of Sayera, the leader in cloud data security. He's a cybersecurity expert with 15 years of experience in offensive cybersecurity and security architecture. Yotam is an alumni of Israel's prestigious Tal Piat program, which is Israel's elite technological leadership academy that handpicks the top 40 high school graduates in that field. It was there that he met Tamar Bar-Ilan, Sayera's co-founder and CTO. Together, they served in cybersecurity leadership roles for over a decade in the Israeli Defense Forces Signals Intelligence Service. Sayera's mission is to enable organizations to unlock the true value of their data while keeping it secure. Yotam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Carol. So tell me a little bit. So, so while at the IDF, you and Tamar experienced firsthand the tremendous challenge of securing data in the cloud and founded Sayera to solve this problem. I say all the time, this is where the best companies are, are founded is by finding a problem that really has a need, need, need to be solved. How did you, how did you come upon this? So I think for us, the, the experience that really set us on this, on this path was uh, the last position we had at the agency, where we had the unique opportunity to found and lead the agency's cloud division. And so we built a whole new business line uh, from scratch over the public cloud. And it enabled us to succeed from a business perspective to do an amazing job. We were able to achieve unbelievable business results with a fraction of the resources. But it also exposed us for the first time to the experience of collecting, storing, and trying to keep vast amounts of sensitive information uh, secure in the public cloud. And, you know, when you buy a sports car and it can go very, very fast, uh, you want to go very fast, but you want to do it safely. Now, the easiest way to, to do it safely is just to not go fast, right? But, <laughs> but, that's kind of, but that kind of loses the point. Mm. So we, we feel the same way about cloud. You know, you, cloud allows organizations to move in a much more agile manner, to, to leverage data in so many new ways. And the easiest thing to do would be to keep uh, treating data like we treated it in the on-premise world, to lock it up in a vault and not let anyone touch it. Right. <laughs> but then you, you kind of lose the point of the sports car. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. What's the point of having a sports car if you can't take it out for a spin? Exactly. So that experience really set us on this path and uh, turned us towards cloud data security, which is the field that we operate in today. What's the competitive nature of this market? So... Uh, like any good cybersecurity space, it's highly competitive. 
Uh, there are a vast number of uh, competitors uh, uh, spinning up and, uh, and rising around us from all over the globe. Many of them uh, companies uh, similar to us with roots in Israel, some uh, in the US, some uh, in India, and some even in Europe. Uh, so it's a huge problem space. We're definitely not the only ones who understand that it's a huge problem. And many teams around the globe are uh, tackling it, each one with their own approaches and their own capabilities. And uh, so it's a very competitive space. Yeah. So what is it? I mean, there are so many Israeli cybersecurity companies. What is it about Israel that has so much of the, the genesis of this is there so much? Yeah. So I, I think we're experiencing the phenomena of seeing so many Israeli companies in cybersecurity and so many uh, Israeli brains in cybersecurity. Uh, but what really stands behind it is Israel's security needs. Uh, Israel, uh, sadly, is a country that is experiencing a lot of conflict uh, with its neighbors. And as part of that, one of the things that we specialize in and that we uh, put a lot of uh, national resources on is cybersecurity and our ability to leverage the cyber uh, landscape for Israel's uh, national security goals. That was what uh, Tamar, my co-founder, and me did for the last decade. It's actually what most of the engineers uh, in the company did for five to ten years uh, before they, they joined the company. Uh, so the level of expertise in this field, the level of knowledge and experiences that people bring into the, the commercial uh, uh, landscape is really unique. Interesting. So your company's really young. You just founded it last year in March. So you're, you know, closing in on a year and a half and you've raised an A round and you've raised $60 million. <laughs> 60, that's six zero in a year and a half, uh, you know, led by Sequoia, Excel, and Cyberstarts. Like, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here because clearly cyber is important, but what has these companies, having given you $60 million and an A round, like what's got them so excited about you, about Sierra particularly? Because I, I can't imagine that any cyber company is going to raise that amount of money that soon. First of all, uh, to get their perspective, you'll have to ask them, but uh, I'll try to, to answer in their stead. But in my opinion, I think that uh, the cybersecurity market is resonating in a very, very strong way right now. Uh, everybody understands that this is a problem that's not going away. It's only getting more complicated and more complicated for enterprises. And at the same time, the skill gaps, the expertise gaps the enterprises are dealing with are tremendous. There's a huge shortage of manpower uh, and it, it, it's creating a tremendous gap uh, in so many aspects. And the only way to close it is with technology. That's the only way that this is going to be closed. So the need is dire today, but it's going to get so much worse over the next 10 years. And I think that that's uh, the, the basic sentiment that's creating the, the huge appeal of this market, of the cybersecurity market in general, and the cloud data security market specifically uh, that we're going after. And I think that as a team, uh, we have the foundations, we have the fundamentals uh, that are required to build a meaningful, important uh, company in this space. And we're going after the biggest prize. We're going after uh, building a real company, in my dreams, a company that's worth hundreds of billions of dollars, 
that is solving uh, the cloud data security challenges of tomorrow, of the next 10 years, and of the next 20 years. And there are going to be many of them. Uh, and we've been able to uh, get some amazing traction very early on with the market uh, to bring uh, very early versions of the product to the market and have them uh, make a big impact for our customers, uh, big enough that they are willing to spend uh, uh, serious sums of money uh, for it. And we've been able to show that we can move very fast with the customers, and that we can tackle the challenges that they're facing today, but also the challenges that they'll be facing uh, in the next uh, few years and help them uh, really unlock the, the value of data in the cloud. And that's the way to unlock the value of data and do it in, in a manner that's safe, compliant, and upholds all of the requirements that they have. Yeah. So... How are you finding your prospects, Yotam? Or are they finding you? Is it inbound marketing, outbound marketing, combination, you know, sales organization? What's that look like for you? Cybersecurity in general, and especially when you look at the top market, right, at the Fortune 500 uh, organizations, it's a pretty small market. People know each other. People work with each other. Uh, you, you can say it's almost a community. And I think the best way that we're finding uh, prospects today is that our existing customers, customers that are working with us, are introducing us uh, to their friends, to their former colleagues, to their uh, counterparts in other companies. And these warm introductions uh, make the best way uh, into a company because the cybersecurity market is so noisy, so noisy. We're talking here today, and I'm going to be using so many words that many other companies are using as well. And those words don't move anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. What people really care about is about who can actually execute, who's actually... Right, a good, who can solve their problems. Yeah, who can actually solve problems for them, and who's right. a real partner that we can count on, uh, not only when times are, uh, are good, uh, but also when times are bad, when things are happening and you need your vendors uh, to be with you through the fire and find every way possible to, to assist you in whatever it is that is happening. And these things happen. Cyber is not a theoretical uh, challenge organizations are facing. They're under fire in a massive way. And, and we're there with them on the front lines uh, trying to help them in, in as many ways as possible. Yeah. What's your financial model? You, see, you, know, you, you said couple minutes back that you're, you know, what you're selling is expensive. So what is the financial model? Is it based on company size, number of seats, licenses, whatever that is? So we actually tie ourselves to the volume of data that the organizations okay. have. And one of the things that's unique about Sierra is our ability to deal with scale. So everybody's heard about the phrase big data, right? Yep. We, we moved from data to big data. But what's going to happen in the next five years? Are we going to move to extra, extra big data? Yeah, and, that's a great question. I mean, it started out being called data warehousing about 20 years ago yeah, or and, more. And that's the reality. Data, data yeah. volume is going to grow in a massive way. And one sure. of the things that we specialize in is the ability to deal with scale and to, to be able to uh, classify and secure data at scale uh, with a reasonable cost model for the customers. Uh, but at the same time, we are tying ourselves to the growth of the data planes, so to the volume of the data that the organization uh, wishes to secure. Do you have any, any typical size of company that you're going after, or is this for anybody? So we're targeting the top market. 
our efforts uh, are going after the top market, uh, mm-hmm. the big banks, the big pharma organizations. Sure. Uh, th- the big organizations that have a level of complexity and scale uh, that other organizations don't have. Th- that's the target market for us. And uh, But we've also seen that even much smaller organizations, even a 500-person uh, company, uh, that has data, that has a lot of data in the cloud, is a relevant uh, prospect for us, and, and and we've been and we've had some uh, customers that are that are of that size as well. Uh, but for us, the the target, the effort is to go into the biggest organizations in the world, solve their problems at scale, and trickle down after that in a few years uh, down to the mid market or the smaller enterprise market. So uh, we talked a little bit before the show about your claim of being the leader in cloud data security. Um, and I wanted to challenge you a little bit about that, how how that could be with a company that's only a year and a half old and with such a highly competitive market. So first of all, it's a, it's a space that's only a year and a half old. So the company yeah. uh, has been one of the pioneers in, uh, okay. in claiming that space and shaping that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gartner actually just uh, a couple of weeks ago recognized the space. Uh, their Got terminology it. is DSPM, Data Security Posture Management. Mm-hmm. That's how they're calling this emerging space. Uh, so it was the first recognition from Gartner who claimed that this is a tr- transformative technology that is going to, to enter the market. Got uh, it. I'm claiming the leadership position uh, based on, uh, on two elements. Uh, I think one, and this is the most important one, is the customer traction we've had so far. Uh, the amount and the significance of the customers that have chosen to partner with us uh, at this early stage. And I feel that in that regard, we, we, have, we have an advantage over many of our competitors and we've been able to, to partner with more meaningful customers. And in my mind, that's the most important thing. And the second aspect is let's call it the internal assets that the company has been able to acquire. So you mentioned our investors, uh, Sequoia, Accel, Cyberstarts. These are the best investors in the world. Uh, and the partners in, the co- in those uh, firms that are working with us are uh, the best partners in the world. Uh, and the amount of funding we've been able to gather, the people that we have on the team, the level of leadership and the level of excellence in execution uh, from uh, the engineers all the way to the, to the head of marketing. Uh, these people make up the company and in my mind make us a leader and make, and make us in a position to, to continue to, to lead the, this emerging pack, even if it is a very, very young pack. Yeah, got it. And that's fantastic. So as I had mentioned that um, that you were accepted into um, the uh, Tal Piat program, which only takes in 40 high school graduates annually. Tell me a little bit about more about um, how they choose those 40 people, those 40, you know, young people. And and did you go straight there or did you have to serve before you started there? Sure. For your two years. I, I will also yeah. add that Talpiot for me is even dearer to my heart because I was uh, I was a, a cadet in the program, uh, but I also came back to be a commander in the program for two years. So I had a unique opportunity to to command the first class and the third class uh, a year each, and it's one of the places that is uh, dearest to my heart and uh, most important in informing who I am today. Uh, so Talpiot is a very unique place, uh, and it values uh, professional excellence in the way that it's not only about what you know, but also 
more, more so about how fast can you learn. Uh, even in the tests that we do to, to accept the cadets initially, half of the tests are about knowledge, like what can you do today, what do you know, uh, what have you learned today uh, in, uh, in the STEM uh, uh, subjects. But half of the tests are brand new. You get uh, an article, you have two hours to study it, and then uh, you get an exam about it. You get a lecture uh, for two hours, and then you get an exam about it. You get an exercise in a space you've never heard about before, you've never studied uh, in your life, and then you get a, a challenge on how well you were able to ingest that material and bring it to use uh, quickly. And also a lot about leadership. Leadership, social capabilities, the ability to communicate with your peers, to communicate with your uh, managers, and to, to lead teams and organizations uh, in, in complex technological efforts. I think uh, for us coming into the military, we, we were never positioned to be uh, the best engineers per se. We were positioned to lead, to lead groups, to, to lead projects, to lead the most uh, challenging endeavors uh, that, that the country needs to undertake. And the understanding is that when you look at the world today, it's not made by single people. Like it, there are no achievements that a single person can do that Correct. make a difference. Like the only That's people right. who matter are the people who can move groups that can lead uh, groups into into execution, successful execution of complex uh, projects. So that's the focus of the of the unit, and Got it's it. an incredibly special uh, place that I was privileged to to spend five years in. Yeah. So it, it, that really leads me to wanting to talk to you a, a more about leadership in general, right? So this is the first company, your or first time founder and CEO. Um, you know, I, I would I would say most, if not all, well, really all, uh, first time founders and CEOs make mistakes. They make mistakes in their leadership. They and that could include communication. But you know, I'm hearing a lot about you talking about that. That's a lot of the work that you did. So I'm curious. As to given that, right, and and I will say I've worked with Israeli firms over the years, and you know often those founder CEOs are the hammer, and they see everybody as a nail, <laughs> and they're cha really challenging to work with and work for, you know, and and you have to really have, you have to know how to handle those people. So I'm curious as to if you are have taken that, given that training, that five years that you spent there. Given your training, how that helped you be a better leader and what kind of mistakes you were still making as a leader? Wow. I mean, and, and, the, and the, not, not that we're going to have time to talk about everything. So let's see. You know, maybe you'll pick the top, the top few. Easy question. No problem. So I'll say a few things. First of all, I think that making mistakes is the best thing in the world. Well, right. Uh, I have no problem with making mistakes. I mm -hmm. have no problem with admitting mistakes. I have no problem with changing direction. Uh, when I realize that I've made a mistake, uh, I think that in general, when you ask yourself, what is a startup, right? A startup is an engine uh, to drive quick learning. Uh, if we had all the answers, if we knew uh, what this product needs to be in 2030, uh, then it wouldn't have been interesting. The world is dynamic. The needs are dynamic. Everything is changing all the time. And a startup, uh, the only reason it exists, the only reason it's, it's a powerful entity is because it can move fast, change fast, learn fast from the market. What really, what's really hurting the customers? Okay, 
We thought it was that, but once we're actually deployed with these uh, 20 organizations, we're learning that the real value that they're getting from our offering is this. And what they really want to do with it is that if we're not able to, to acknowledge that and to be open to that and to change according to that very, very, very quickly, then we don't have any reason to exist. Then the, the big companies, they would build it and they'll do a great job. The problem with the big companies is not that they lack resources. The problem is that they lack agility. That's right. Well, yeah. Right. And, and that's exactly where we excel and, and the yes. work we do. Every customer right. for us is a partner. Every customer yeah. for us leaves a, leaves a, a mark on the product. Uh, some features are named after the customer that asked for them. Uh, that's that's Julio's feature. That. That's Alex's feature. Like, because that's the story we're in. And uh, yeah. the, the only reason we exist and succeed is because when we partner with a customer, we're there to, to be with them and to develop and, and progress the product according to their needs and the, the lessons that they bring to us from the field. So I think that that's uh, the first part about mistakes. In general, our culture is one that uh, that really, uh, I would say, respects uh, the ability to to learn from mistakes, uh, to admit mistakes, and to and to talk about mistakes. Uh, when Tamar, my co-founder, and me get off a sales call. Uh, the natural instinct for us is for 15 minutes to grill each other about everything we did wrong. Uh, like every everything that we said that didn't resonate with the customer, everything that uh, we did that was redundant, they already understood what we're trying to explain to them. There was no need to say it again. Uh, and to try to learn from that as much as possible uh, and, and implement those learnings across the, the company in a very swift and precise manner. Well, and, and, and of course, you know, what I'm hearing is, is, and I don't know if you recognize, if you recognize this or anybody listening does, but, you know, the important thing is when the leader can, you know, can say, listen, I screwed up or, you know, this, you know, this, this process didn't work. So here's what we need to do to change it. When everybody down the food chain from you all the way down to the ground floor sees you setting that example, that's culturally really important <laughs> yeah. I, I agree completely and you know you you brought up a few more points about leadership and I, I think I'll share maybe one thing that I'm learning or that I learned at my time in Talpiot and I think that is helping me today I think oftentimes uh, when something's not working out uh, someone is not uh, is not executing the way you hope they would, mm-hmm. They're not uh, achieving the success uh, you wish they would be achieving in, in the role, you start to ask yourself why. Okay, what's happening? Mm-hmm. What's not working? And I think that what I learned uh, is to assume people want to succeed. Everyone. People want to succeed. People want to be successful. And oftentimes when they're not, it's because something is blocking them, and that something can that's exactly be exactly right. It right. can be internal. It can be something about their story, how they understand their position, mm-hmm. how the, how they understand right. their role. Maybe boundaries that they have in their mind about what they're expected mm-hmm. to do and not expected to do. Like I, right. I shouldn't speak out of turn. I don't know. Maybe that's a conception that someone in, on the team has and is causing them uh, not to not to speak. That's right. Uh, or, 
So that's exactly right. In fact, the, the the type of debugging that I like to do is is to to not debug, but to go back to the expectations and and be able to tell uh, in a more, most comprehensive way to tell the person how I envision their success. Like this is this is how I would see you successful. This is what I would like to see. And and I. I talk. I just talk. I monologue like crazy, and I describe to them in as much detail as possible how I see them successful in the role, what I'm imagining, what are the things that I'm seeing, what what are the actions that that I see them taking, what are the results that I see them achieving, how they look, how I imagine them getting to them. And oftentimes, when I finish that, they're like, whoa, that was a very different description of success in my role than what I had in mind. Uh, and, and then we can start uh, aligning both of our visions about, okay, what are the expectations from you and wh- what are your expectations from you and how, how do we get to common ground around, uh, around that? So your time, so then, so that has me thinking about when you're, when you're bringing people on board, when you've brought people on board, right? You're at, you're at about 60 employees now. Um, is it, you know, do you talk about that ahead of time? Because what I'm hearing is there's some advice or maybe coaching? I'm not sure um, at this point. And and none of that works if there's not an agreement that they're gonna that they are opening the door to welcome that from you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Have you have, has that agreement been made ahead of time so that you know because you know yes you clearly want people to succeed, but as you pointed out, people have blocks. I call those blind spots. <laughs> And, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And maybe you see it and, and, and maybe you're seeing it accurately, but sometimes that can overwhelm someone mm-hmm. if you're just telling them about it rather than working in a way to get them to start seeing it themselves. And maybe part of it is that you're trying to, that you're working hard to be so agile and move so quickly that you're thinking, well, we, I just don't have time to do that kind of work. I want to just tell them what I see. I'm curious about that. I think that you're bringing up a good point and it resonates with something that I feel in a, in a stronger way about our reality today and something that I state very, very clearly uh, to anyone who's considering uh, joining the company. I think today there, there's a lot of talk about uh, work-life balance and a lot of talk about uh, uh, general like well-being in, in what you're doing and Honestly, I have I have some issues with that, <laughs> and my issues. Right. You're you're a startup. I can see why that. Yeah, is. and th- that's exactly it. Like I you feel, have to have a proper expectation going into a startup. I feel that sometimes really uh, people are misled to think that everything that's called a company is the same, and it's not the same. And and I try to be as clear about that as possible. We're a very very small organization, uh, tackling a huge challenge with the biggest companies in the world. Uh, I can't offer uh, my employees uh, anything except blood, toil, and tears, right? Like, it's, it's, on, it's the honest truth. I expect them to be uh, engaged at a, at a level that is not normal. And, and, it's, right. uh, and I respect any person that tells me that it's not what they want to do now. But many people do want to do it. Many people do want to be in, in an organization that is extremely engaged. Maybe many people do want to be in an organization that is always on. And, 
it's not like it's not for life right like <laughs> I, i'm not planning right. to do this for my entire life it's a chapter in your life and if you want an mm-hmm. intense chapter uh, then it's an, an amazing adventure to do you get the opportunity to build something that didn't exist in the world that's cutting edge technology that's solving one of the hardest and most important problems that right. organizations are going to be facing mm-hmm. and, and that is exciting i come i wake up every day thrilled but I also yes. go to bed beaten. I'm, I, like it's a very, very, very hard work. And, and I think that it's really important to be clear with people about that, about I agree. The, 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 the vibe of the company, the culture of the company, the expectations, and, and also about the communication, that we communicate very transparently. We communicate very clearly. Uh, it, it's okay to make mistakes. We all make mistakes and please make as many as possible. But uh, the, the, the requirement is to be able to admit those mistakes and learn from them. That is a requirement. If that's not in your nature and not the way uh, that you like to, to deal with, your, uh, with, with the reality around you, that's completely fine. Just not fine for us. Exactly. Well, and, 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 you know, I, like I said, that's, that's why I asked the question, you know, as long as you are extremely communicative about the expectation, you know, it's when, it's when people have unmet expectations, you know, fill in the blank with any negative adjective, frustration, anger, you know, exhaustion, whatever that might be. As long as you are completely clear about what is required. I'll never forget um, somebody I worked with many years ago, who was a chief sales officer at a startup. Um, these guys worked their butts off for five years and then sold the company to a very, very large tech firm for a lot of money. And I remember him saying to me, I got one more of these in me, Carol, (laughs) and that's it. I cannot do it again more than one time. It's exhausting, especially as we get older, right? It, It is really, really hard because you don't have the infrastructure that, you know, some enterprise ginormous company has, right? So, so let's talk a little bit about your talent strategy, Otam. You've got, you know, you've built to 60 employees in a super short period of time. Um, what does the structure of your organization look like? Like how many on the leadership team? And then how many love, layers of management at this point? And, and what does your talent strategy, has your talent strategy looked like? What has been successful for you? And what has been unsuccessful for you in hiring? Mm-hmm. So I think for us, uh, it's, it's a lot about complementing our roots. So Tamar, my co-founder, and me, uh, our roots are from the engineering space in Israel. Uh, that's where we grew up. That's uh, where, where we have uh, vast relationships and, uh, and felt very confident that we know who we want to bring on board and that they'll be joining. And they did. Uh, but the challenge for us is really building the go-to-market uh, organization in the States. Right. I moved sales to New York. Uh, yeah. I moved to New York recently to be much closer to the sales organization and to the marketing yeah, organization and to the customers. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I feel that in this area we have a lot of learning to do, and we've been very fortunate uh, to have a very experienced board of directors that are helping us uh, to to learn quickly. Uh, but there's a lot of learning to do about what an enterprise uh, sales motion is. Who are the people that we want to be leading the the troops? What do the troops need to be able to do? Who are the who are these people, and how do we become an attractive employer for them? Uh, the engineers come because it's a crazy uh, engineering challenge, and uh, and they feel like they're building the the coolest uh, piece of technology uh, that's ever going to be built. Why do the salespeople come? 
because they can solve tremendous problems to their customers, because they feel like they have a product that's exciting to the customers, uh, because they like the, the level of engagement uh, that they're getting from the, the accounts, and because they're entering a blue field, like a, a blue ocean, a, a place where, hey, like this is, this is something new that your organization is experiencing, and we can solve it for you. So there's a lot of learning to be had there. In general, as a, as a company, we always say we need to be inno- innovative only in the things that we need to be innovative about, right? Like we need to be innovative, innovative with our product and the way it addresses uh, the problems and making the customers' lives easier and nicer yeah, by adopting the, the product in many, many ways. But in an organizational structure, there's no innovation there for us. We try to stick to the playbook about what a SaaS company should look like and, uh, and practice the playbook uh, according to, to the rules that were written there by people with more experience than us who have done it a few times and stick to that. Yeah. So Tamar's still living over in Tel Aviv, yes? For the time being, yes. Okay. So, so of, of the total number of employees, what percentage are over in Israel? So about 45 today are uh, in Israel, 75% of the employees in engineering okay, product. Yeah. We're, investing more, we're investing much more than most companies today uh, in the engineering, in the product. And we feel that that's uh, one of the things that are setting us apart from our competitors and from uh, other players in the market. Yeah, no, that, that, that doesn't really surprise me at all. So, so what, you know, over the next, let's say 12 months, wh- where do you see expanding here in the States? You know, you know, like in what types of positions and, you know, what does that look like over the next year? Because clearly this is why you moved here to New York. Yeah, we have a, we have a sales organization to build and to operationalize. And it's, it goes hand in hand. Uh, we're bringing in people uh, cherry picking. Right? Like it's not about uh, growing in numbers. It's about uh, bringing the right people uh, on the bus because they're going to, to make the difference. So we're interviewing for almost every position in sales and marketing almost all the time. And we're looking for those people who share vision, and they share the mentality, share the dedication, have the right experiences to to add to the team, and uh, and and want to join this journey for for the long uh, for the long run, and yeah. How and how are you finding those people? You said you know you were interviewing people. People were cherry picking. Are you going out and hunting them down, or are you posting and praying that you find the right people? <laughs> uh, mostly, mostly hunting them down uh, is, is a more effective uh, way. Posting and praying. I don't disagree. Yeah. yeah. I like praying, yeah, but I mean, uh, but it's not uh, always so helpful. Yeah, well, you know, post and pray is not an effective strategy. You know, hope is not an effective strategy, right? Um, have you experienced any turnover since you started the firm, and why? Yeah, I think we've had a few uh, misfits uh, right. hires. It's also, if we talked about mistakes, right, I feel like those are the greatest mistakes that I've made. Uh, you, you interview someone, you fall in love, uh, you feel like this person is going to do amazingly well in the company. And then uh, when, when we're actually operating, you see that there's a lot of strain, a lot of challenges. Uh, some things in the culture don't align well and don't uh, resonate well. And 
you feel like you're hurting the person and hurting the company. Like they, we hired them because they were extremely successful in their previous positions, and uh, and we hope that they'll be extremely successful uh, in our company. And sometimes you you see that the fit is not there, and and you you have an open conversation about it. And uh, right, yeah. And and as I said, hope's not an effective strategy. So looking back on those mishires, what did you miss? After having fallen in love with somebody in that interview and then realizing, oh shit, I missed all this. Like, I think that I didn't have enough, uh, enough respect or understanding to how uh, particular the early stage that, we, that we're in is. Uh, selling at an early stage is not selling at a late stage. And marketing at an early stage in a category that Gartner uh, just announced for the first time a week ago it's not like uh, marketing uh, a well-accepted product in the market. No, of course not. Every, I mean, there's a lot of evangelizing. Yeah, every aspect of the of the go-to-market motion uh, is different when it's so early, when it's a product that's just appearing in the market and starting to to make a name for itself. And I think that that's the that's the biggest thing that I've missed uh, so far. Yeah, well, and listen, you know, like I said, there's a lot of evangelizing and you need, you know, you need to find people who know how to sell, you know, to early adopters, right? Yeah, and, uh, and know how to, how to explain the problem, how to articulate the problem well, right. to, to, let's call it not early adopters, but traditional adopters in a way that they understand because they're looking for solutions. Like if, if they understand the problem uh, that, you, that you're coming to solve, and why your solution is so amazing for it, they'll be willing to to adopt. Yeah, yeah, got it. So, is there anything in this in this really new market that you you're looking back on and going, okay, you know what? This is really horrible advice that people are giving out about this industry. I think for us, uh, uh, specializing in data, data for many years in security uh, became secondary to infrastructure. And the reason for that, in my mind, is that infrastructure was easier to deal with. Uh, it was more accessible. And the cloud has actually changed that. The cloud has enabled organizations to deal directly with the data, with the data security needs that they have. And for many organizations, we I feel like we have to, to bring the focus back to what really matters, uh, uh, the data. And they all say, the data is what we care about. But uh, sometimes it's hard for them to believe that now they can actually uh, dive in and, and take care of it head on and not uh, through a proxy, through the infrastructure. So that's something that I'm seeing in the market that uh, I feel for many years has been uh, infected with this uh, uh, wrong perspective or maybe a perspective that was uh, right for the on-premise world. And now that something else is available, it's, it's a bit hard to digest that. Oh, okay. I can really, I can really do those things. Yeah. Well, and 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 listen, change is not easy, especially for you know, some of these enterprise companies, right? I mean, that you know, you know, you look at insurance, for example. You know, getting them to make the change from on-prem to anything in the cloud is challenging because they've been doing it the same way for you know hundreds of years. <laughs> I think that's true, but I'm actually, I have to say that I have tremendous appreciation. Uh, for the enterprise space uh, uh, in the U.S. and in general, I feel like the types of challenges that these organizations deal with, the scale, the complexity, mm -hmm. is tremendous. 
and they, they don't let it stop them. Like I'm seeing huge organizations that are moving to the cloud fast uh, in a Good. determined way. They're adopting new technologies to enable them to do that. They're demanding their people uh, stay on their tiptoes and continue to progress uh, into the future. And we're meeting enterprise security people and enterprise IT people uh, that are amazing practitioners, super experienced, staying at the cutting edge of technology, always thinking about how their organization needs to look like uh, in five years' time, in 10 years' time, and are able to bridge the, the almost uh, unbridgeable gap between the enterprise complexity and, and, the business, uh, and the business needs and find ways to consolidate and, uh, and make those, uh, those things work together. So I, I have to say that I'm, I'm awed by the people uh, in the enterprise that are working on these projects. I feel that they're, they're not letting uh, things slow down the organizations uh, to the best of their ability. So tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day looks like as a leader. What do you spend your time doing? I'm uh, focused quite heavily on the customers, so I try to spend as much of my time uh, in customer interactions, if possible, in person. And, and for me, it's always better. Like I, I like flying all over the States, meeting people in person, uh, spending time with, uh, with people in the industry. Uh, from uh, CISOs, uh, Chief Information Security Officers, all the way to, to an analyst uh, working in a SOC and asking them about their realities, their problems, and trying to understand how our product and how our offering uh, could help uh, and amplify their day-to-day. Uh, so for me, that's my passion, and that's what I like doing the most. Some of the time, I need to take care of the company and make sure that it's, uh, that it's going uh, in the right direction. It's still running. <laughs> and, and that we're w- working on the things that we should uh, across, uh, across the board, that all of the leaders are enabled and uh, have everything they need in order to succeed. Uh, but really, for me, the, the, the greatest part of my job is, is to meet people uh, and solve their problems. That's, uh, that's yeah. what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. That's great. So how do you spend your time when you're not working? <laughs> Is there any time when you're not working? <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young... Uh, Hopefully you're making some time to, to do other things. I'm a young father. I have a, a one-year-old son, Giddy, and my wife, Noah. And uh, when I'm not working, I try to be with them, uh, try to, to spend time with them. Uh, we just moved to New York, which is a very exciting uh, adventure for us as a family. Uh, finally, like in Israel, we have very big uh, and very warm uh, f- uh, families on both sides. So there's not a lot of uh, just the core family together. It's I get it. It's hard. With the grandparents yeah, yeah. and the uncles and the cousins and the brothers and the sisters, uh, all, all of that. And now we, we have a bit of time, uh, just the four of us with our dog as well. Uh, and it's a, it's a very good experience for us from a family perspective. And we're trying to, to soak it all in. Yeah. New York's a great, a great place to be. Uh, are you li- actually living in the city? Yes. Yes. While we have yeah, just one does. kid, it's a, it's a good time to, to actually live in the city. Before, before you move to New Jersey or Connecticut. <laughs> life is what life is. No, you can't right. fight it. <laughs> So if somebody listening to this interview, Yotam, loves what they're hearing about your company and is so excited about it that they're thinking, I, I, I got to investigate working for these guys, what should they do? 
and should go on our website, uh, sayera.io, and uh, and find us there. We have all the all of the communication channels uh, available. We'd always love to hear from uh, from people who are interested in the company in any way, shape, or form. And that is c y e r a dot i o. Uh, is there anything, Yo Tom, that I have not asked you today that you want to talk about before we sign off? I want to thank you, Carol. It was uh, a pleasure being your your guest on this podcast. Thank you for doing this podcast. I enjoy listening to it and learning from others' experiences. And I enjoyed the conversation very much. So a lot of appreciation. Thank you for having me. Well, Yo Tom Segev, co-founder and CEO of Sayera. Nothing more to say here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.